Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Didek, and this week we're kicking off a three-week mini-series, digging into a couple of topics that all have one basic question at their core. Did God really say that? A little spoiler alert for you, he usually did. Let's find out when, starting now. So, we were a little delayed, kind of getting back on track here with the podcast. Had a couple things going on. And, you know, kind of one of those things where once you take the time off and get into a new schedule, it can be hard to get off that schedule and back on to you know, your, what you had previously been doing. And so there were a few times where it was just kind of easier to, well, not easier, but so I just had other stuff going on, trying to fit it all into the day and things like that. So, but in that extra time off, this is where kind of this series or this mini series, as I call it, came up. And they're all from social media posts, so you know they're going to be really good. We're going to start with probably the easiest one and then end with, on this three-part one, with kind of a little bit of a harder one, but one I feel like is kind of important to to get into. And so we're going to do that. So this first one was a question posed on Twitter, which is kind of annoying because unless you've paid Elon Musk the $8, you're very limited in how much of a, of a response you're allowed to have. And so when someone asks a kind of deep theological question or a a question that doesn't have a simple answer of like, yes, then you know, you, you know it's, it's kind of a pain to try to address some of these questions that people have sometimes on Twitter of all places. And so not wanting to try to answer it there, I feel like there's probably answers enough that this questioner received anyway. But as usual, it kind of inspired me to kind of think about this topic and decide to address it here for you guys. And the question this person posed, and I think they meant it seriously, is where does the Bible say that if I accept Jesus in my heart, I will be saved? And this is one of those ones where we got into this quite a few episodes ago when we looked at, you know, the Bible doesn't say love the sinner and hate the sin. And so there's another case where, like, if you look for that phrase of, if you accept Jesus in your heart, you'll be saved, it's going to be really hard to find. But we need to remember that for a lot of these things, we've had nearly 2,000 years of pastors and priests and theologians creating a sort of shorthand to help quickly describe basic principles of Christianity. And so this shorthand, if we can call it that, or we will call it that for kind of our purposes, the shorthand, you're not going to find it. You can't like Google it with scripture as part of the search terms and find a Bible verse that says these sorts of things. There is no single verse that says it, but the principles and the concepts are usually in there if you look at a couple of different verses. So again, this is going to be an opportunity to practice studying our Bible of taking an idea. Right now, It's you know, these are perhaps a little easier because they're more directly kind of scripture based, but any, any idea, any concept that's out there in the world, you can kind of do what we're about to do and kind of, and break it down into a couple different parts and study and look for where does this show up in scripture and what does the Bible say about these various components of it? Like I said, this one's going to be a little bit easier because it is very close to what scripture says. It's less of a, a leap perhaps than love the sinner, hate the sin. So what you want to do when we're doing this sort of thing, studying out a phrase or a concept in 
sort of modern, modern English, modern conversation and see is, does this play out in scripture or, you know, what does God say about this idea in scripture? Because again, we're going to be doing this throughout the next three weeks. So we need to take the phrase, accept Jesus into your heart and you will be saved into some smaller components. And the crux of it is the, if you do this, you will be saved. So let's revisit again. I think we talked about this a little while ago, but just to sort of cover it in this context and for any listeners who might be joining us for the first time, what does scripture say about how we are saved? Is it by accepting Jesus into your heart or not? That's kind of the, the main point of this question. It's like, does this equal salvation? Well, what, what does scripture say about salvation? Romans ten thirteen says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The most basic sort of description of what it takes to be saved, as we're going to see here in a little bit, there's still a lot kind of in that phrase, a lot of assumptions and things that need to happen before it's not you just saying the name necessarily. It's not just the words you say. There's there's intent behind it. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is, that is how you are saved. Interestingly, as I was studying this out, some translations actually specify everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in prayer will be saved. Others add at the end of it that whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of sin, which again, those are things that just come from other passages that indicate that's what you don't necessarily have to call in an audible voice. It's not saying in this, at least this scripture we'll see later that it might not hurt for you to do that. But basically all translations boil down to that salvation is based on this basic principle. If you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Now, as one commentary pointed out, in order to call on the name of the Lord, you have to recognize him as Lord, okay? If you recognize him as a Lord or as the Lord and, you, and you're calling on the name of the Lord, not only have to recognize that he is Lord, but that you need him. You know, again, it's just, it's not just repeating the words. If you get an actor to speak the words of calling on the name of the Lord, but it's not actually their intent in, to do that, it doesn't, it doesn't work. There has to be intention behind the words. And again, recognition of who it is you're calling on and the fact that you need a Lord besides yourself or in place of yourself, I should say. And that's mostly just logical. There's, you know, there's plenty of places we go in scripture that kind of talks about us needing a savior and things like that. But even just from a logical standpoint, again, why would you be calling on the name of the Lord if you don't think you need a Lord to save you? But this also repeats what Paul wrote just a little earlier in Romans 10. If we start in verse nine and read forward, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So even this single verse as a little bit of shorthand for everything that came before that, before verse 9. So we're going to jump back even further to actually start in Romans chapter 10. We're still in the same chapter, but we started in verse 13, then we backed up to verse 9. Now we're going to back up to verse 4 and read all the way through 9 and into verse 10. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This is the main point, is righteousness before God. Verse 5, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. 
If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, when he's talking earlier there about, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down or who will descend into the deep, that comes from, I believe it's Deuteronomy, that in giving them the law of God through Moses, he was pointing out the fact that, you know, now that you have this, this isn't far away from you. God is not a God who's far away. You don't have to go over the mountains or down into the deep. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. So what is the heart? Okay, so we've defined what salvation is and how it's it's an attitude and a belief as well as something you say. But we're talking about you have to accept Jesus into your heart. What do we mean by the heart? Because we also saw that in this passage in Romans that comes from Deuteronomy. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. So what, what is it? What is the heart that we're talking about? We already know this, especially from that passage that we just read, but just to reiterate and make sure that we get this. We're not talking about your physical blood pumping heart. This isn't something that when surgeons give people a heart transplant, that all of a sudden they're a different person. That's just, it just pumps the blood. But at that time, back when the Bible would have been written and, you know, throughout the centuries that it was written, the heart just means it's the center of who you are the source of your life and being. They believe because the blood came out of the heart that that was where life originated and everything kind of came from there. We're going to see that analogy played out actually spiritually in a minute here. But what it also means is that Jesus as your Lord can't just be on the outside somewhere, just one of the attributes that makes you who you are. To believe with your heart, as the Romans passage said that we needed to do, to say you believe with your heart means that you believe in such a way, and and it comes from such a place of your being, that everything else that makes you who you are flows out from there and returns to there. Okay, everything that you speak should emanate from this heart that believes in Jesus' resurrection. Every deed should be enacted because the life and energy flowing into you pumps from this heart that believes. And whatever returns, the words and actions of those around you, either on their own or in response to you, should flow back into this heart before new words and actions come out again. So the things that we take in, again, if we use the analogy of the body and we eat food, digest it, it goes into our bloodstream. The blood has to go through the heart first and then comes back out of there. And so in much the same way, in our spiritual lives, in our you know non-food-based lives, I guess, and through our thought lives and everything, must come in, go through the heart before it goes out to give life to the body. So how would we then... Can we invite Jesus into this place? Do we invite him in? How do we invite him in? Is that what's happening? We're going to jump really quick and hold your objections till the end in case you've heard this passage used before and heard kind of the criticism against it. Let's read it really quick. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, the objection sometimes that comes up with this verse is that that was written to believers. It was written to one of the churches, one of the seven churches. So this wasn't written specifically as an analogy of the non-believer coming to Christ. Okay, this is written to a church that had grown cool, that was running neither hot nor cold. And four verses earlier, Jesus said, because you're neither hot nor cold, but are lukewarm, I'm bu- I am about to spit you out of my mouth. These are the people he was saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking, but you need to open and let me in. Now, that being said, we also have John chapter 14, verse 23, that Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. 
My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. This is written to people who come to accept Christ. You say they, if they believe in him, they love him. If they love him, they believe in him. One of the two ways you want to spin that, it's this coming in and it's this idea that, that God does not force us to believe in his son. That's why I'm not a Calvinist. And we've talked about this in an earlier episode, but you know, we still make the choice. I believe my reading of the scripture and of the nature of God is that the potential is out there for all of us. Jesus did not only die for specific people. He died for everyone who would end up believing, but he doesn't force it. I said, we could argue that Paul, when he was Saul did still have a choice. Even after he was knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus, he could have potentially still hardened his heart said, how dare Jesus treat me this way, knocking me off my horse and blinding me for three days and still will not have turned to Jesus. We can argue whether or not Saul had a choice in his conversion. Again, my kind of reading of it is that there are those that are kind of written in stone, as it were, that specific people, God has a a specific plan that requires them to either have a hard heart or a soft one. And he does whatever has to be done to move them to that point without saying either that we know that who those people are. So we can't say because the example of Paul, again, most believers said or would have said and believe at the time that Paul would never be saved. He was so adamantly opposed to the church that there's no way God had salvation intended for him. And he did. So we don't know who it is and who it isn't. And so this invitation, you know, again, even though the the revelation verse isn't specifically addressed to non-believers, the concept is throughout the New Testament, I believe, that God's not going to force his way into your life. So when God is the one extending the invitation, I would still say, even though we are invited and have to respond and say, yes, I want to come to the table, there is also the one who showed up that wasn't wearing wedding clothes, it says, and he was cast out. So there's still the element of even though we can be invited and respond to it, we don't actually get Jesus down into our hearts. We just say, yeah, it sounds like a good story or it sounds like a good idea and maybe live as close as we can to it under our own power. But we've not actually invited in t- in response to the invitation, say, yes, I want to be, I want to come to this feast. So now come into my heart, replace the stone heart with a, f- a heart of flesh from... Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Okay, this was written to the Israelites who were scattered throughout the world, starting in verse 22. Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, you will be my people and I will be your God. So it again is because of God and for his glory and the holiness of his name that, that this happens, but we have to allow him. He doesn't force himself. So these are just a few of the verses. I think there are others. I'll leave you to find some of your own to either 
accept or reject this idea that Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit make their dwelling in us and with us, but they do not force themselves in. You have to be willing, but they're also not far away. So by inviting him in to the core of who you are, believing with your heart, confessing with your mouth, those are all actions toward and processes of inviting Jesus into your heart. The result being that you are saved. So yes, I believe it does say that. Again, it is not those exact words, but the idea is in there. And so now, you know, 20 minutes into this episode, perhaps why, for the sake of closing out their sermons, pastors will just say, I'm going to extend an invitation for you to invite Jesus into your heart so that you can be saved. It's a lot faster to say that and allows you to get to the prayer and to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the things that you need to in order to be saved. So forgive them that if you must disagree. If you disagree and find other verses that you think contradict that idea and what I've just said, but study your Bible and pray. So next week, we're going to be looking at four, I'm pretty sure, completely erroneous bullet points. I am sure of three of them, the fourth one, I've got to do a little bit of digging in the next week to make sure. But it was an interesting video. We'll talk about it next week. And we'll go bullet point by bullet point to show that Paul does indeed know better than some of us, at least, what it was Jesus stood for and that we should stand for as well. Until then, keep the faith and keep it fresh. 